So we are in a new series that uh, I'm calling this series Courage in Chaos. Because we're in chaos. And when the chaos is great and when it's on every front, what happens is you can get, uh, you can get worn out. You can, you can get fatigued. You lose your juice. You lose your uh, you lose energy, and uh, you lose morale. That that happens in battle. In Second Corinthians one, Paul said, "You remember our affliction in Asia, when we were excessively burdened, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life itself." Paul doesn't go into detail on that. We don't know what he went through, but it was, it was of such a nature, there was such chaos, there was such pressure, there was such opposition. Uh, well, how did he put it? You remember our affliction in Asia when we were afflicted beyond our strength. And that's what's happening right now. You have people afflicted beyond their strength. But the thing about the Lord is, he said this in Lamentations 3.21, And that is, uh, Lamentations is five laments. And I'm not going to go there, but you got to set the context. It was bad. It was as bad as it possibly could get. The nation had been taken off in the captivity. In Jeremiah, in 321, he's fighting off depression, he's fighting off anxiety, he's fighting off utter despair. And then he, it's like he snaps himself out of it and says, this I recall to mind. Instead of going off his feelings, you got to think. Christianity is a thinking man's battle. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Because when you get fatigued, you lose hope. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. When we're in times like these, times of uh, anarchy and lawlessness and tyranny, and, and how many, I, I, I read this week that 60% of the businesses have shut down, small businesses, and I can't give you the whole context of the quote, I just, you know, you, you see so much stuff. They'll never open again. That's a lot of businesses. That's a lot of families. That's a lot of people out of work. That's a lot of people that worked hard and hard for years and years and years, and it's over. It's done. It's lost. These are times that have been incredible stress, incredible pressure, incredible disappointment, incredible loss. The question is, how does one, how, how do you keep your courage in times like these? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. We are to use our minds. Don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew our minds because, you see, we live in a world that's full of the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is foolishness, but God offers us his wisdom, and we thank him for his wisdom. We have to engage our minds 
If you're going to have courage, you have to engage your mind seriously with who God is and what he has said. That's how you get courage. So tonight, I've got three things in my outline. Let me go ahead and give you the first one. The first point we're going to make tonight, and I'll give you all three and then I will come back to it. Number one, courage comes from knowing God and his word. Courage comes from knowing God and his word. So if you're out of gas, if you're worn out, if you're starting to get fearful, they who wait upon the Lord, Isaiah 40, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. It goes on. When you wait on the Lord, you're meditating on the Lord. Uh, the idea of waiting is not just being passive. But you, there, there's, when you wait on the Lord, you, it, 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 you, are, you, are, you are waiting for him to act. You're doing what you can do. Because there are things you can do. But there are things you cannot do. As you're active instead of passive, as you do the next right thing, as you wait upon the Lord, you are taking in God's word and you are pondering God's word. And you are waiting for God to perform his word. He told Jeremiah that I am watching over my word to perform it. And sometimes we wait on God to perform his word. I want to go right to Joshua 1, but I haven't given you the other two points yet. So let me give you the two points, and we'll come back to one. Number two, courage comes from knowing God's providential control of the world. Courage comes from knowing God's providential control of the world. We'll come back to that. See, that kind of sounds like what we talked about last week. That's because it is what we talked about last week. But we're going to hit it again because it's everywhere in Scripture because this is how you keep your hope up and this is how you keep your courage up. Three, courage comes from God, knowing God's providential control of nations and rulers. Courage comes from knowing God's providential control of nations and rulers. Those are the three points. Let's go back to the first one. Courage comes from knowing God and his word. Let's turn to Joshua Chapter 1, Joshua was facing, uh, you, take a, you talk about pressure. You, you talk about the need for courage. So he is taking over from Moses because of the unbelief of the 12 spies. The nation, instead of going right into the promised land, they had to wait for 40 years. Now it's time to go in. The leadership is being transferred the Lord is doing this from Moses to Joshua. And uh, he's young. He's got a huge responsibility. He's got to go in and he's got to take the, the land from all of the ites. They were powerful people with powerful cities. They had the latest technology. The latest technology back in those days were iron chariots. Israel had nothing like this. Israel was outnumbered. They were outgunned. They did not have, uh, they didn't have anything other than the Lord. 
they, they, were, they were up against incredible um, opposition from godless, lawless, rebellious people who were against the Lord. That's who the ites were. If you study the ites in detail, they were not for God, they were against God. They had their own deal and they had their own gods. So in Joshua chapter one, the transition is taking place. Joshua 1, 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Now that's a great promise. I will not fail you nor forsake you. You say, well, that was, well, was that just for Joshua? No, that's for any believer. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's in the New Testament. God is the same. This is the same God. We're in a relationship with him, and God is faithful. One of the characteristics of God is his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. We'll see that in just a minute. I will not fail you or forsake you. And see, that's good to know because he's going up. Let's put it this way. The odds are not on his side. When you do the math, they're on the wrong side of the equation. Six, be strong and courageous. All right, here you go. Be strong and courageous. Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, if, if we get weak, if we get fatigued, if we get overwhelmed, if we lose our perspective, quite frankly, it's okay. I, um, I, I had, I've had that happen in the last week, this past week. I just got overwhelmed. Um, I just did. And it was early in the morning. I woke up overwhelmed. And I'm sitting there in my chair. I got my Bible. And I didn't read what I normally read. Didn't pull out my, my calendar reading. I just went to Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And I just said, you know, Lord, you know right now where I am. I'm out of gas. I don't have the juice I need to do what I need to do today. I, I just don't have it. And you know that. And Mary knows it. So all I can do is read this and say, I want to be strong in you. I trust you. I trust you today to give me what I need. I trust you to go ahead of me and put in place what I need. I trust you to supply what I don't have, but what I have to have. I don't have it. That's how this works. His power is perfected in, anybody know? Weakness. God takes strong men and he makes them weak so that we'll trust in him. Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land. He doesn't say you might. He says you will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. 
only be strong and very courageous. Now watch this. Here's the secret to courage. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. He's talking about the word of God that had been given to them. They didn't have the whole Bible like we do. They had a portion of the Old Testament. But the word was, the way that you're strong and courageous is that you're careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. So the key is to not only know the Lord, but to know his word. Because apart from his word, you can't know him. And apart from his word, you can't know his promises. This is why the enemy will always try to get you out of the word. He'll try to distract you. He will try to um, change up your, your morning time with the Lord. Or whatever it is you do, he does not want you in the word. Notice um, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The word of God shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So you're to know the word of God, you're, you're to read the word of God, and you're to meditate on the word of God. And you say, well, wait a minute, i got a full-time job. I mean, I'm not a pastor. How can I do this? Here's how you do it. And the Lord knows that we have jobs. The man doesn't provide for his own. He's worse, he's worse than an unbeliever. You, you got to get out there. You got to hustle. You got to work. It takes a lot of time. The great theologian Walt Garrison, <laughs> if you remember him, a long time ago was fullback for the Cowboys. And when he quit playing for the Cowboys, he did a commercial. First time I'd really ever seen anyone do a commercial for uh, chewing tobacco. And Walt said, for true tobacco pleasure, you just take a pinch between your cheek and gum for true tobacco pleasure and eventually mouth cancer. <laughs> he didn't actually go into that, but we're just talking about immediate gratification here, okay? That's what meditation is. In the morning, you read your scriptures. Um, and a scripture will stand out to you. Or maybe there's a scripture that's not in your reading, but it's just a scripture that, you know, comes to mind. All right, grab that sucker. Grab that scripture. Put it right between your cheek and gum. And you just let it sit. And... You go about your work, you go about your business, you're doing what you have to do, but that's just, it's just there. Now, Don Whitney has a more sophisticated illustration of meditation. See, that's meditation. It's not that it's on the front burner of your mind, it's just on cheek and gum. It's just there. And by the way, it's there and it's infiltrating your system. Is it not? Oh, yeah, it is. Don Whitney, his illustration is Meditation, biblical meditation, Eastern meditation is emptying your mind. That's the counterfeit. Biblical meditation is taking the word of God and putting it into your mind and contemplating it. So Whitney's illustration is, it's a tea bag steeping in hot water. And you just let it steep. 
So you take a scripture and you just let it steep in, the, in your mind and you let it seep, the truth of it, in your brain and when you need it, it's there. But you are living your life in the presence of God and with the wisdom of God. Real quick, Hebrews 5. What, what happens, that's how you get courage. That's how you get courage to keep going. It begins with the word of God. It begins with knowing the word of God and chewing on the word of God, letting it steep, letting it uh, infiltrate your mind and your thinking. So that day when I was kind of feeling, you know, out of gas and I, I grabbed on to Psalm 142, 3, which says, when my spirit was overwhelmed, you knew my path. I had to make some decisions and I wasn't quite sure the best way to go. And I wasn't in the greatest frame of mind to make some key decisions because I was tired and I was fatigued and you don't make decisions in that state of mind normally. But eventually some decisions were gonna have to be made and I was hoping the Lord could hold them off and all and I'm just, instead of getting anxious, I just grabbed on to 142.3 of Psalms. When my spirit was overwhelmed, that's me, you knew my path. You know where I'm going. Lord, I don't have a clue. And I really don't have to know right now. When I need to know, you show me. When I need to know, you'll make it clear. When I need to know, you'll give me clarity. I went about my business. And that is exactly what happened in the days following. Exactly what happened. Hebrews 5.12. Though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. They have to go back to kindergarten concerning who God is and what God has said. They flunked. They flunked out where they are. And you have come to need, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only milk Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Did you catch that? If you're not accustomed to being in the word, you can't grow. You just can't do it. You can't take solid food because you're not mature enough. You're still an infant. It doesn't matter if you've known the Lord for 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years. If you don't know the word, if you're not in the word, because you see, the word not only gives us courage, but in the next verse, 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's amazing to me how many Christians are coming down on the side of evil, vociferously, without shame, without embarrassment, they're, they're actually quite offensive. And they're full of themselves and somewhat haughty and they think they're absolutely right. And they couldn't be more wrong. And, the th and, and I've, the people that I have known over the years are revealing themselves. And what's very, very clear is they're not in the word of God. Because they can't discern between good and evil because they have not trained themselves in the word of God. The more you know the word, the more you, have, you can discern between good and evil. Without the word, without the word, you're not going to have courage. 
without the word, you might have courage, but be standing up for evil. Without the word, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to have hope because it's all in the word. This is why the enemy doesn't want me in the word. I need courage. Secondly, courage comes from knowing God's providential control of the world. Courage comes from knowing God's providential control of the world. So, you go back to the time of the Reformation in the 1500s and Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest. He was trying to find peace with God. The Roman Catholic Church, unfortunately, teaches that we are saved by works and not by grace. And Martin Luther believed that. He was... uh, in seminary, he was studying the scriptures, but he was plagued with guilt. He would confess his sins. He would spend hours asking God to forgive him, trying to remember everything he'd ever done wrong so he could confess it. He'd fall asleep, exhausted, wake up, and knew there was a whole bunch of sins he had not confessed. You can't do enough good works. You can't light enough candles. You can't give enough money. You can't But then in his studies, he was reading Galatians and he was reading Romans and he kept coming across this phrase that the just shall live by faith. And he discovered through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And what happened was it changed him And it changed the whole world. And what happened was Martin Luther, he began to study the scriptures and he began to write and speak up against the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, his nick was on the line and it could have cost him his life. He could have been burned at the stake. And he was on his way for another meeting with the authorities and it was possible that he would die as a result of that meeting. So his, um, his benefactor who had political power had him kidnapped and taken off to a castle. And he was there for months and months and months. While he was there, he translated uh, the scriptures into everyday German. Because you see, people did not have access to the word of God. They couldn't read it. They didn't have it. But in the sovereignty of God just and the providence of God, just when he was doing all this in Martin Luther's heart, there was this guy named Gutenberg who was tinkering with this thing and came up with this thing called the printing press and some people started feeding stuff to Gutenberg and he started whooping that stuff out and it was going all over. And the scriptures were going all over and people started reading the Bible and they started finding Christ and they started discovering grace and mercy. Huh. I mean, it's an amazing coincidence. It's called Providence. What is the providence of God? Now, if you've been in this study, we've gone over the providence of God many, many times. You know why I go over the providence of God often? You know why I go over the sovereignty of God often? Because most Christians don't have a clue. Because they haven't been taught. The sovereignty of God and the providence of God are the most comforting doctrines in the Bible. So what happened in Germany is that they put together these different catechisms, question and answer formats to instruct new believers about scriptural truth, and you could use them with children. 
and they came up with in Heidelberg what's called the, this will be shocking, the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's, it's a wonderful instruction. It asks a question, gives an answer, and then it'll give a bunch of verses. So I'm going to read three questions and answers from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And that's a great question. What do you believe? By the way, a lot of Christians don't know what they believe. R.C. Sproul's ministry is called Ligonier. They had Lifeway, the Southern Baptist educational arm, do a survey. And, you know, surveys can say all kind of, pretty much anything you want. I should have brought this survey with me, but what they did, because you get people that say, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, my grandpa was a Christian, he was a Methodist circuit writer, but, you know, they don't know the Lord. Uh, other people are serious, Bible-believing followers of Christ. You got a whole spectrum. Well, in this poll that Lifeway did, they asked four very specific questions that let them know that these are people who are serious about Christ and serious, they believe in the authority of Scripture. Uh, boom, 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 boom. I don't have the four questions in front of me, but it helped them to identify these people are serious. 30% of the people who were serious and believed in the authority of Scripture, 30% of them didn't believe that Jesus was God. Why is that? They're biblically ignorant. They're not in the Word. They might revere the Word. Oh, I believe it's the Word of God. I believe it's the authoritative Word of God. Satan doesn't mind if you revere the Word of God. He just doesn't want you reading the Word of God. Or they're in churches that are entertainment centers rather than churches that declare the whole counsel of God. You see? It's no different than going to a rock concert somewhere. You don't want to be in a church like that. You want to be in a church that's serious about the Word of God. And they're not doing some political agenda. All right? That just sounds like what you're getting on the, on the news during the week. A lot of these young pastors are getting deceived. And they're getting conned. And they say, this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. Well, read the gospel, and that's not in there. Now, it's a side issue. And as you grow and mature in Christ, it's dealt with. But it's not, it's not the core of the gospel. I'll tell you that right now. But these guys are drawing lines and dying on hills. You stick with the word of God. And they're well-meaning. You know, we all used to be young. I used to be young. I'm young right now in my head. I'm absolutely delusional. <laughs> so here's the question. And I, and I put it to you and I put it to me. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? What do you believe? Here's the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. We could spend two hours on that. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. 
God is able to do this because he is almighty God and desires to do this because he is a faithful father. And then they give 22 verses to back that up. Next question. And by the way, if you believe that, you're going to have courage. When you get tired and when, you have, when you're fatigued, you're going to be able to encourage yourself in the Lord. You're going to go back to what you believe. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. What is it that I believe? I'm kind of worn out, I'm kind of shot, I'm, I've lost hope. Okay. All right. Farrar, what do you really believe? Yeah, I know you're going down that path. Knock it off and start thinking. Well, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And I got hope back that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come unto him. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Why am I here, Lord? Why am I in this? Because you've appointed it. You're working for my good. Next question. 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? Here's a definition that's really good. The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth, and all creatures. And so rules them that leaf and blade, that's grass, that's bushes, that's trees, that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then they give 10 verses. Do you believe that? If you do, when life gets really, really hard, you won't completely lose it. And you won't have to take your life because you're not going to listen to the evil one. You're going to recall this to mind. Third question. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. That's Acts 17. And, and, and by the way, there are 10 verses. In him we live and move and exist. You can't breathe without him. You see? Is that not great stuff? And here's the thing. It just happens to be true. So what that does is it immediately lowers the stress and it puts my life and my situation right now as hard as it is in perspective. God's up to something in my life. I can't see it. I don't understand it. Half the time my little kids, they don't know what. Do little kids understand what their dads are doing? No. He's your father. He knows what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. There is a way that seems right to a man, and the end thereof is destruction. My father knows what's best. He loves me with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. You see, that's the truth. You guys still there? Are you encouraged? Sure you are. Let's go over to, uh, let's go over to Psalm 46, verse 1. So we're looking at this second point 
Courage comes from knowing God's providential control of the world. So, Psalm 46, verse 1. And this is a very, very familiar psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's my refuge. He's my um, bulwark. You ever heard these words, a mighty fortress is our God? Martin Luther wrote that. Tied into this. God is my refuge and strength. The name of the long is the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. He's a rescuer. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Sir, are you in trouble? What kind of trouble are you in? Maybe. You lost your business, maybe you're unemployed, maybe you're working on commission and you haven't had a deal go through in six months and you're just, I mean, you're just hanging by your fingernails and that's stress and that's pressure and you can't provide and you're maxed out and it, I mean, that's unbelievable pressure. Or maybe it's a series of, uh, of sickness, maybe, maybe a really, really bad case of COVID or Talked to a gentleman just today who's, during this COVID thing, his wife, oh, she died of brain cancer in August. Pretty quick, about four months. Just a lot of grief, a lot of pain, a lot of loss. They were very close. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's all kinds of different there's all kinds of trouble right now. All kinds of trouble. There's tyranny. There's bureaucracy. There's anarchy. There's lawlessness. There's flat-out lying and deception. God is a refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. I pointed this out before, but in the margin of the New American Standard Bible, here's the rough-hewn translation from the Hebrew of the second line. Instead of a very present help in trouble, the rough-hewn Hebrew says he is abundantly available for help in tight places. You in a tight place? He's available. Actually, that's not quite right. If you're in a tight place and you don't see any way out and you're hemmed in, he's not just available, he's abundantly available. He makes a way. See, this is who he is. He makes a way where there is no way. It's what he does. He's a savior. He's a savior. And he keeps on saving. And you'll, you'll run up against an obstacle. You'll run up against a brick wall. And there's no way out, just like the Red Sea. There is no possible way you're getting out of this. And then he makes a way. And if you walk with Christ for any number of years, you can look back and say, yeah, he did it there, and he did it there, and he did it there. He's abundantly available for help in tight places. A lot of guys are hurting right now. A lot of guys are suffering. 
A lot of families are hurting. There's a lot of division. There's, there's just a lot of stress. There's, uh, people are exhausted from dealing with this stuff. And in your life, you, you just may be absolutely fatigued and you're, and you're completely out of resources. Is there any hope? Is there any comfort? Thomas Manton was a Puritan pastor. And he wrote these words about 300 years ago. He said, one way to get comfort is to plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. God is tender of his word. That's an interesting way to put something. God is tender of his word. Do you have any cash in your pocket? That's called legal tender. You see, you put that down and uh, it counts. You hold up a promise to God, his promise counts. That's a great statement. And when you're in a tight place, you can you hold up this handwriting, open it up, and say, Lord Jesus, you said this. You said you're abundantly available for help in, in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in deep trouble, and you know my trouble. I am asking you. I'm asking you to make a way. You said, call on me in the day of trouble, Psalm 50, 15. You said, I will rescue you, and you will honor me. I'll honor you, Lord. I will lie on you right now before you've rescued me, but I need to be rescued. I'm not going to make it. And I'm telling you, we could go around the room and guys could tell stories of the faithfulness of God. And if he was faithful then and then and then and then and then, why wouldn't he be faithful this time? That's what he does. He's faithful. That's how you get courage. That's how you get going in the morning. You just keep going. Well, I might have to wait. You probably will have to wait. Because God's all about timing. And God will not give it to you early. God will not give you a premature deliverance. When God delivers you, when he gives you mercy, it'll be right. It'll be right. God's all about timing. He has impeccable timing. You've heard of just-in-time inventory? An American engineer came up with that. Edwards Deming. And he came up with this idea. I've used this illustration many times. I remember going to the GM car plant, Mike over in Fremont. And we toured it. And man, there were warehouses, warehouses, warehouses everywhere. What's in the warehouses? Parts, bumpers, engine blocks, mufflers, everywhere. It was huge. Deming came along to the American car builders and he said, hey, look it, guys. Instead of having all these warehouses and all that stuff, just we work it out and the parts show up an hour before you need them on the assembly line. Well, we can't do that. We've never done it that way. I mean, so fine. He went to Japan and they listened to him. And they cleaned our clocks. They, they, bought, it, they bought just in time inventory, cut their costs, cut their prices, and took us to the cleaners. And then the American guy said, hey, run that by us again. Oh, Edward Zimming is the founder of Just-In-Time Inventory. Actually, he isn't. The Lord God Almighty is the inventor of Just-In-Time Inventory. 
It's called manna. It's a well-timed help. At precisely the moment when you need it. Well, I don't have a surplus. I've gone through all my reserves. Fine, you've got manna. Jesus is the bread of life. <laughs> but see, I don't want to find that out. No, no, I want, a, I want a Costco in my backyard. You know, I want a Costco here. I want a Costco there. I want a Costco retirement. I want a Costco this, financial plan. And that's fine, you know. Sometimes the Lord gives that to us. But if he pulls, pulls the Costcos in your life, you've got manna. And manna shows up daily. And it's just what you need for the day. And then you're out, and if he doesn't come through the next day, you're finished. Oh, but guess what? He'll come through the next day. He did it for them in the wilderness for 40 years, and he never missed. Number three. Courage comes from knowing God's providential control over nations and rulers. Now, this really sounds like last week, if you were here. But we need to be reminded of this. Courage comes from knowing God's providential control over nations and rulers. Um, turn with me to Psalm 2. Uh, we, we are living in, well, in 1959, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he looked around London and England and the world and in 1959, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great man of God, said, we are living in days of exceptional evil. In 59, we'd like to go back to 59. 59 were the good old days. But compared to how he was born and raised, it was exceptional evil. He w this is astonishing, what we're in. This is exceptional evil. And so what happens, we look around every day, And we take in this fire hose of lies and deception wherever you turn, whatever device you've got. And we get overwhelmed. And, and it just seems like everything is utterly, utterly out of control. And these leaders and our lives, my life and the life of my kids and my grandkids, our lives the well-being and our future of our lives is in the hands of these leaders. No, it isn't. Now, see, you're not thinking biblically. It's not in the hands of leaders. Well, well, they, well, they're, well, well they, they're in positions of authority. I grant you that. They're high. I grant you that. They're high. He's most high. Psalm 57, 2, 3, I will cry to God, most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. Or as one translator put it, same verse, I will cry to God, most high, to God who is the transactor of all my affairs. He will send from heaven and save me. That's true. That's how you have Courage. Well, Steve, it's getting pretty bad out there. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I grant you that. Well, man, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have, I mean, you know, persecution's increasing. Yeah, it is. You bet. Well, we, we've never had persecution before. Well, we're going to get it, and we're getting it, and it's going to get worse. 
Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you're going to stay in the Word. And you're going to have courage. And just like Daniel, and just like his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they got that fiery furnace thing going, hey, listen, listen. I'm telling you to bow down to that thing. Bow down. Bow down. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. Oh, king, we don't even need to give you an answer on this. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. That's courage. Where do you get that? From the word of God. Because you see, they weren't afraid to die. Because to die is gain. To die is promotion. You're doing me a favor, quite frankly. If, you know, if you're in Christ, there's nothing to fear. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 describes what's going on right now. We're watching this every day. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. So it's not only the nations, it's the people within the nations who have different agendas, who want certain things, who believe certain philosophies, who believe certain ideologies that, by the way, have been proven time and time again to not work and to fail miserably. That's why they're devising a vain thing. It's been tried and tried and tried and tried, and it's utter foolishness. The kings of the earth take their stand. The prime ministers, the presidents, the members of parliament, the congressmen, the senators, they take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together. And this is interesting because this gets right to the root. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their chains apart and cast their cords from us. You see, if you acknowledge he's there, then you've got to acknowledge that he's God and you've got to bow before him. And they don't want God. They want their false gods. And they, they don't want the God of truth and they don't want the God of power because they want power. This is what's going on. This all is ultimately a rebellion against God Almighty. And we looked at that in Romans 1.18 last week. And, we'll, and we see this, and we're seeing burning and looting and anarchy and lawlessness and all of this and tyranny and bureaucracy and all of this stuff. And we, you know, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And then he warns them. You get down to verse 10. He says, now therefore, O king, show discernment. You better get, you better get yourself right here. Take warning, O judges of the earth. You better worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. If you're going to bow, you bow before Jesus. Amen. Do homage to the Son, lest he become, let, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. There you go. <laughs> you want to take refuge in Jesus. Go over to Psalm 5. I'm telling you, the Word of God is so amazingly relevant. Psalm 5, verse 2. This is a prayer for Christian men today. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Look at verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The wickedness that is in this culture, 
the wickedness that is being promoted, the wickedness that is being encouraged, the wickedness that is being used to indoctrinate children, even to their very, the very image of God within them, it is wicked beyond description. It's an attack on the image of God. Verse 6. Actually, let's do 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity, all workers of iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. You know how many babies are slaughtered in this country every year? You know what this whole Supreme Court thing is about? It's about abortion. It's all about abortion. They're mass murderers. They're mass murderers with Ivy League degrees. They're killers. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Verse 9, there's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. That's their heart. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O Lord, by their, watch this, by their own devices. Let them fall. In the summer, I was doing some podcasts from my home, or whatever you call those things, podcast video things. And one, of, I had to come up with a title each week. One of them, I, the title was, It Has Been Quite a Year This Week. That might be the title for this tonight. It Has Been Quite a Year This Week Again. You think about where, what was going on a week ago. And you think about where we are right now. There, there is a phrase in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 where some kings were fighting and there was a godly king and Elisha came to him and they were, they were going to die from thirst and it, it, you can read it for yourself, but they had no water and Elisha said in the morning, There'll be no storm, there'll be no thunder, you won't see any rain, but in the morning, I mean, they're going to die of thirst in their animals. There'll be water everywhere. And there was. And they were chasing the Moabites, and they couldn't catch them, and they were fatigued, and the Moabites, in the morning, saw the reflection from the sun on the water, and it looked like blood, and the Moabites said, oh, they killed each other because it was two kings. They killed each other. Let's walk in and take the spoil. And they walked in and they were ambushed. It was a deliverance from God. And there's a phrase in that text that says, it was a slight thing for the Lord to do. It was a slight thing. It's an absolute desert in the morning. There's water everywhere. It's a slight thing for the Lord. They shall fall by their... What does that say? Hold them guilty, O Lord. By their own devices, let them fall. And we're watching them fall right now. By their own devices. 
Those who do wickedness, those who slaughter babies, those who take their parts, sell them. This is, this, this, this is beyond, it's just, it's beyond imagination. By their own devices, let them fall. Friday night, Mary and I are watching a movie. I'm really trying to get interested. I'm trying to be interested. And I'm struggling just a little. The phone rings, and she looks at it, and it's a family member. She says, I need to take this. I said, fine. And then my mom came in from the bedroom, and she was on the phone. She said, Steve, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died. Wow. Now, Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. That's true for everybody in the world. It's true for everybody in this room. It's true for me. When a new baby comes into the world, it's appointed for that, ba it's appointed for that baby to die. The date, the time, it's all under the sovereignty of God. You can see Psalm 139, 16. So we all come into the world with an expiration date. God oversees it all. God rules nations. God rules rulers, kings, judges. He rules it all. We need mercy. We don't deserve mercy, but we need mercy. And Mary and I have been praying that God would be merciful. That he would do justice and restrain evil and judge those who are opposed to him. And give us a future and a hope for our children and for our grandchildren. We don't deserve it, but we're asking for mercy. Um, we are watching history being made. It is possible. It, it, is, it is possible that something, and we don't know that it will, but it's possible now, and it wasn't before, that something of great evil could be reversed. But the reason we're watching this happening in Washington, D.C., and it's falling out the way that it is, is that the wicked came up with their own devices to circumvent what was in place. And they've dug a pit for another, and they're falling into it. We wouldn't wish anyone dead. But God is sovereign over all people and all leaders and all rulers. And we need to be praying for our country. And we need to be praying for our leaders, whether they know God or not, that he would give them courage to honor God for God's glory. Righteousness exalts a nation, 
Sin is a disgrace to any nation. Our hope is not in an administration or in a politician or in a party. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. But he moves and works among the nations and among the people. So our Father, we bow before you. We are, we are stunned by this turn of events. We pray that it would work to honor you and to increase righteousness in the land and to stop evil. What a great God you are. You, you astonish us. If we had a million years, we could not anticipate what you have in mind. We have a broad outline in Scripture where history's going, and we know Jesus will come back. But in the interim, we ask for mercy. And I would pray for each of us as men that you would give us hope. I pray that you would give us courage to follow you right where we are. And along with Joshua to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.